Hey there, future fans! This week we learned that beauty school is a con, and we learned that being a kid is hard. As a bonus, we also learned that only assholes dress up like ghosts. This is the week of July 3rd, 2020, and this is episode 175 of Future Flicks with Billiam. everyone welcome to the show that's right episode 175 25 episodes away from 200 so i guess now is the time to start the road to 200 right like i've said before and any wrestling fan will know that the road to wrestlemania in the wwe they always make a big deal of it it's kind of a joke like oh the road to wrestlemania starts now half a year later here we are well why not start the road to 200 right now and i really need to start a a, start to think of something special to do for 200 episodes because I am right now the longest running and hopefully temporarily only podcast on the Somewhat Nerdy Podcast Network. So maybe I should do something big, but we'll see. I'll start bouncing ideas off my wife and then um, after a while, she'll come up with a better idea, which I'll just do and pretend is my own. I lie. I, I always give her credit for things like that. Like I've said before, it is Anne's idea that this show even exists because she gave me the original idea for the uh, for the blog that turned into the somewhat nerd, somewhat nerdy, that turned into the Future Flix with Billiam podcast. And she's also been wonderfully supportive this whole time. Because I'll be honest, if I didn't have her support, I probably would have quit by now. What? I'm not rolling in cash by episode 100? F*** this and just leave. But no, that's not how it works. I do this because I love it. So if you listened to last episode and you know what movies we're talking about this week, you may have picked up parts of uh, the intro I did. I said beauty school is a con. That's a nod to Grease and the Hustle. The Grease... The Grease. <laughs> the Grease. Not available to stream, but of course, a lot of people have Grease. I mean, come on, there's got to be a way to watch it. The Hustle on Hulu and Amazon Prime. I then said that Being a Kid is Hard, which is a nod to Edge of Seventeen on Netflix and Artemis Fowl on Disney+. And then you may notice I said, as a bonus, only assholes dressed up as ghosts. That's because I wanted to talk about a film that... I had borrowed from the library a while back, and I had to watch because libraries are slowly starting to open, so I wanted to watch the film, and it was also very topical, so I thought I'd talk about it on this show as a bonus, and that film is Black Klansman. So yay, a bonus film this week, huzzah, and yay. But some of you may be confused, wondering what it is you're listening to. Well, let me tell you something. You are listening to Future Flicks with Billiam, and I'm Billiam, I'm your host, and on this show, we normally do things a bit differently. Normally, this is a show where I talk about all the movies that are coming out during the week, so any new movies hitting theaters, but still, as a lot of theaters are closed, we actually have a story about that in the news, but as most theaters are closed, not a lot coming out, weird, right? So I changed the show to talking about movies that you can watch on streaming. 
most of the time. Every once in a while, I'll talk about a movie that you can't watch on streaming, like Grease or Black Klansman. Okay, that's a lie. You can probably stream those movies somewhere, but out of the main ones, like Hulu, Amazon Prime, Netflix, Disney+, Plus, you can't watch them there. So that's what I... That's what I go to for my main sources of movies for this new show. So at the end of the episode, I will tell you what four movies we're going to watch next week. And as long as it's not Portrait of a Lady on Fire, I will actually watch it. And I still feel bad about promising to watch that so much and never actually getting to it. And I still want to watch it. But movies, just like books and TV shows, are mood watches. If you're just not in the mood for something, you need to be honest with yourself about it. So that's why the movies for this week were a little more, you know, anytime. You may be able to pick up something like lighthearted, like Grease or The Hustle anytime, but something like Portrait of a Lady on Fire and Just Mercy, movies like that, maybe not an anytime watch. Because maybe the subject matter is a is something that requires more than just random drooling attention. <laughs> But you know what? Like I said last week, one of these weeks, I'm just going to surprise you. I'm just going to do it. Watch a film and have that be my surprise going, guess what I watched? Finally. And I swear, if I put so much time into considering watching this and it's and it's not a good film, like I don't like it, I will be quite disappointed. Well, either way, I got a little off track. So let's just go into the first segment, which as always is the news. This just in from Hollywood, the news. This first story comes to us from Variety. Universal Pictures is looking to reboot Twister and have picked Top Gun Mavericks director Joseph Kaczynski to helm the film. There are no other details available at this moment, but a detail from me is that I'm torn. I love Twister. Anne and I watched it again not too long ago, and it, it kind of holds up. I mean, some of the characters are a little off. Like especially the the um, fiance at the time, she's not a very good character. They should have just taken her out of it entirely. And if it wasn't for Philip Seymour Hoffman's amazing ability and the fact that he came across as very, or he disarmed the character of Dusty a lot, he could have been very creepy. But other than that, it it didn't age poorly. And obviously, the special effects are special effects, not up to today's standards. It's not bad. But I am curious to see what it would be like with today's effects. Either way, I'm torn. Uh, part of me wants to see it. Part of me is like, no, let's just leave it. We have other things we can make. Also, Bill Paxson is dead, so he can't even make a cameo, and that would be horrible. This next story comes to us from comicbook.com. Disney has released its Disney Plus summer release schedule. And I'm not sure if this is every film they plan on releasing or if it's just the big ones. But here's the list that they gave. July 3rd, we have Hamilton coming to the coming to Disney Plus, and that is a recording of the Broadway show. It's not a movie yet, if one's even going to be made. July 3rd, we also have The Mighty Ducks. That's right. No, that's one away from the Knuckle Puck. It's the first Mighty Ducks. July 10th, X-Men Days of Future Past, which, in my opinion, was the last good X-Men movie. July 10th also brings us Solo, a Star Wars story, which I thought was better than it got credit for. July 17th, X-Men Apocalypse awful. Then July 24th, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales, eh. July 31st, Incredibles 2, which I believe is taken from Netflix. One, one of the other streaming services has Incredibles 2, so I guess they're taking it back at that time. August 7th, the original X-Men. Also August 7th, the Peanuts movie, randomly. Okay. August 14th, Ant-Man and the Wasp. August 14th, also The Greatest Showman. August 21st, Beauty and the Beast live action. 
August 28th, the 2005 Fantastic Four. Uh, uh, August 28th, Alice Through the Looking Glass. September 4th, The Wolverine. So again, maybe they will also be releasing smaller movies during that time. Of that, I am unsure, but I just know that those movies will be coming out this summer. Next up in the news, we have two stories that are tied together. This first one from Vanity Fair. And just a quick reminder with the news, when I give a news story, I'm not sure if it's the, if the source I'm citing is the one that broke the story or not. Because all I do is I notice the story and I save it. It could be the millionth source that found it or the place that broke it, but whatever. So anyway, from Vanity Fair, Christopher Nolan's Tenant falls back yet again. Originally, it was set for a, well, a completely different date, but most recently it was set for a July 17th release date. It was going to be one of the first movies released in theaters once theaters opened up again, and a lot of people were saying Christopher Nolan's going to save theaters! Huzzah and hooray! But however, it's being pushed back again. Oh, actually, then it was uh, pushed back to July 31st, and then it was pushed back again to August 12th. Vanity Fair has noticed, or Vanity Fair's Anthony Bresnikin, I think, stated that if it's pushed back anymore, it would likely lose the summer blockbuster window. So yes, Tenant not coming out until August, and close on the heels of that story-wise, this from Screen Daily, AMC delays reopenings as studios push back releases. AMC has pushed back reopening its sites from July 15th to July 30th after studios delayed their tentpole releases amid a surge in new COVID-19 cases across the U.S., Weird. It's like almost it was still a thing, but people were just going out anyway into crowds and not wearing masks and being stupid. And then it starts surging more. Weird how that works. In a story from Mashable, Chiwetel Ejiofor confirms Mordo's return in Sam Raimi's Doctor Strange movie. Apparently this was called into question after Mordo was unseen in Avengers Endgame. But yes, he will return in the next Doctor Strange movie. This next story comes to us from Fansided. Have you heard rumors that maybe the Dark Universe may be returning? That was Universal's version, kind of, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe where they connect all their old movies but making new ones like The Mummy and and uh, Invis- The Invisible Man. Well, there was some speculation that maybe it might be brought back after The Invisible Man did so well. But Jason Bloom of Bloomhouse said in an interview, he says, I would absolutely accept the task, but I don't think that that's going to happen because the studio has been developing a lot of different ones. They're down the road with different people and they made the decision to do it that way. So the ship has already sailed. But if they change their minds, I'm in. So what would you think bringing back the the, uh, defunct dark universe? We'll see. Ladies and gentlemen, this next story comes to us from GameSpot of all places, uh, M. Night Shyamalan's new movie gets an official release date and a couple actors added to the cast. The release date is set for July 23rd, 2021. And so far, Ken Leung, Nikki Amuka Bird, and Abby Lee have joined the cast. They join Eliza Scanlon, Thomason McKenzie, Aaron Pierre, Alex Wolf, and Vicky Kripes. Next up in the news, if you want a feel-good story, or at least just something a little funny, maybe not feel-good... Uh, let's find out why Robert Pattinson thought he totally screwed up his audition for the movie Tenet. In an interview, he told Cinema Blend, there was this pack of chocolates on the table. I had a massive blood sugar drop by the end of this conversation. I thought I was going to pass out because we've been talking so much. I was trying to concentrate so much. Finally, I asked for one of the chocolates and he, he being Christopher Nolan, immediately ended the meeting. I was like, oh my God, I f***ed it up. 
Needless to say, he didn't f*** it up. In fact, Christopher Nolan had just heard everything he needed to, and thus ended the meeting. We know this because Robert Pattinson is indeed in the movie. This next story comes to us from Hype Beast and is actually from news from last week, but the, all this coronavirus and the slow reopening of theaters have, has helped make Jurassic Park the number one movie in North America once again. That is because as movies movie theaters slowly open, they don't have anything to show, so they're showing old favorite movies, one of those apparently being Jurassic Park, that made a little over half a million dollars last weekend. As some of you may have heard, movie producer and ex of Elizabeth Hurley has passed away. At the age of 55, he has produced movies like Get Carter, uh, wrote the movie Kangaroo Jack, Chuck Norris's Missing in Action, he was a writer for as well as Every Breath. He only had one movie yet to come out that he was a producer on, and that was an untitled Jerry Lee Lewis documentary set to come out next year. In a story from IndieWire, again, not huge movie news, just something interesting, Apparently, Keanu Reeves is just as great as we thought, and he's been great for a while, because on the set of Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula, that was a movie from 1992, with Gary Oldman, Winona Ryder, Anthony Hopkins, Keanu Reeves, uh, Carrie Elwes, Tom Waits, Monica Bellucci, a shit ton of people, but apparently Winona Ryder was having trouble crying in one scene, so Francis Ford Coppola suggested that everyone just be really mean to her and scream insults. And apparently, Keanu Reeves being a f***ing true gentleman said no. I use that as a buffer because we all know there's another death, and that was director Joel Schumacher, director of many great films, and including that of the formerly hugely panned Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, and movies like Phone Booth, 8mm, Phantom of the Opera, the 2004 version. He passed away at the age of 80. But do you guys remember when those Joel Schumacher Batman movies were coming out and they were wonderfully panned? They were just ripped apart because that's when the nipples in the bat suit started and the butt shots of Batman and Robin. But now people look at them fondly from the past. And I think that's because we went from we went from Tim Burton's dark, serious, and really well done Batman films to something a little more campy and fun, and we weren't ready for that. Let's ignore the fact that they screwed up the character of Batwoman, or Batgirl, I'm sorry, not Batwoman, they screwed up the character of Batgirl, who instead of being Commissioner Gordon's daughter was Alfred's niece, I think? And they screwed up the character of Bane, who instead of being a genius-level bad guy was just a mumbling Neanderthal. And sure, mistakes were made, but now we look on it fondly and remember it as a campy film. Campy, but enjoyable. Like me, I never hated the films, because I guess I saw them for what they were, just fun. But my future friends, let's keep this Batman theme going with our final story in the news. You may have heard it already, so I'm probably telling you something you already know. We now know that Michael Keaton's Batman will be in the Flash movie. There have also been rumors, I'm not sure if they've been if they've been confirmed or not, that Catwoman, Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman, will make a return too. How is Michael Keaton's Batman making an appearance in a Flash movie when we know this Flash has already met Ben Affleck's Batman? Because it's the f***ing Flash and he f***s with time. Don't ask questions, just watch the film. But of course, since this Flash movie isn't set to come out till 2022 and may even be pushed back more, we don't know if Ezra Miller will actually be in the film because of the fact that, you know, he choked a fan and it was caught on camera. I mean, I know people can be annoying. Me, I get mobbed by fans all the time, he says, lying 
<laughs> but even for someone like Ezra Miller, who must have a lot of annoying fans, especially because a lot of them are like teenage girls, maybe don't choke them? Maybe? Well, my future friends, that is it. For the news, let us take a break as we hear word from our friends at the We're Doing Fine podcast with Robbie and Lisa. See you guys. I missed you last week and did you at the end, so I'm doing you first this week. Please stay tuned. Hi, I'm Lisa. And I'm Robbie. And we host a show called We're We're Doing Doing Fine. Fine. We're friends from across the ocean. I'm from Scotland. And I'm from California. Join us every week as we chat about biscuits. You mean cookies. Brexit. Whatever's going on here. Who knows? Almost dying. Why we're single. Popular culture. And basically everything and anything that can distract us from this postmodern hellscape we're all living in. Because we're We're doing doing fine. All right, and we're back. We are back with everyone's favorite segment, the trailer trove. Avast, and welcome to the trailer trove. All right, ladies and gentlemen, if you hear something different, it's because we had to turn the fan on because once again, it is hotter than Satan's taint and I needed some relief. Well, it is time to jump into the trailer trove. The first trailer is for a film called The Sunlit Night, and that's supposed to come out. It says July 17th this year, but as we learned that a lot of companies aren't opening up until late July, we'll see if this actually does come out. Maybe it'll come out just to streaming slash video on demand, or maybe it will be pushed back. But as of now, July 17th, The Sunlit Night This is based on a supposedly popular book by Rebecca Dinerstein, or Dinerstein, Dinerstein, something. And it stars Jenny Slate, X-Files, Gillian Anderson, Zach Galifianakis, Alex Sharp, and anyone else? A couple other people, but no one huge. And this film looks cute. It seems like an interesting book, too, and the movie looks fun. It's about this young woman who, she's an artist, and she's not doing too well, because maybe the art world is hard. But her life isn't going so well in other ways, because she just broke up with her boyfriend, her little sister is getting married, her parents are getting a divorce, and she gets this chance to paint with a very popular or very well-known painter. What is a project? He's painting a barn yellow. Different shades of yellow. Why is he doing it? Because it's f***ing art. Remember, like I always say, at least I assume I always say this because I bring this up in conversation because I'm a pretentious asshole. But like Marcel Duchamp showed with his work of art called Fountain, all you have to do is sign something and basically show your intention is that it's art and it's art. Anyway, she says yes to this, but where is this barn? Where in America is this barn? Nowhere in America. It's in Norway. So she goes to Norway and she finds herself. Yay. But there on top of the artist, she also meets this guy who is the head of a Viking tribe played by Zach Galifianakis. She also meets this guy whose father's dying wish was to have a proper Viking funeral guy played by Alex Sharp. And they seem to hit it off. And it's basically about Jenny Slate's character finding herself. How does she find herself? Through art and Norway. Yay. This looks like a cute film. Doesn't look anything su- like anything super special, but you know what? Why not? I like Jenny Slate. 
you should too. All right, folks, next up in the trailer trove is a film called Waiting for the Barbarians. This is set to come out August 7th, so maybe it will actually come out on that day. This is a film starring Mark Rylance, Johnny Depp, and Robert Pattinson. And with that impressive of a cast, I can't believe I had no idea this was coming out. This is about a magistrate working in a distant outpost in the Asian frontier must battle with his conscience when it comes to the heavy hand of the British Empire or the well-being of the people. So that synopsis, I kind of added my, my own words to. I'm not sure it's a British Empire, but seeing as it's a movie that takes place so far in the past, in the 19th century, that I thought, okay, it's probably the British Empire. But this film looks good. This looks like one of those films that just happens to get a really good cast because you have all these big actors in between projects. They have enough time to do this thing because it's maybe a short movie or something just fits perfectly because their next project they're already tied to and there's so much time. But whatever, that they got these actors. Mark Rylance, fantastic actor. We know that. Robert Pattinson, getting better and better. Johnny Depp? I'm not sure about Johnny Depp anymore. I'm really not because I'm still, no matter what kind of human being he is, I'm still kind of sick of him. Because I think we got inundated with too much Johnny Depp. And even on the personal front, what what's the truth now? So Amber Heard beat him too, but he hit her? Or he, she he didn't hit her, she made it up? I, I don't know. They're both garbage people. That's just a stance I'm staying with until the truth comes out. But this isn't a case of who hit who. This is a case of a movie that I think looks pretty good. But this isn't the movie you make a point to see. This isn't something you see in theaters. This is a movie that you see because one day you find it, like I always say, in a bargain bin at Best Buy. Or it's on sale, deal of the day, on Amazon. And you buy it and you watch it. Or it comes to streaming and you're like, I, I remember this movie that that guy on that podcast I totally love talked about it. Maybe we should watch it. That's the kind of movie this is. And it comes out August 7th. All right, my future friends, next up, we have The King's Man. This is the prequel to the Kingsman series, written and directed by, well, the same guy who did the others, Matthew Vaughn. This one stars Ralph Fiennes, Aaron Taylor Johnson, Gemma Arterton, I think is how I say it, Matthew Good, Stanley Tucci, uh, who else? Charles Dance. Uh, oh, Jimin Honsu is in it, apparently is a big role. So I think it's funny that in this film, we have one, like, this main group of people fighting one of which is a person of color another of which is a woman but it's the prequel that takes place in during world war one with it it looks like the main bad guy being rasputin and it looks like it begins or what sparks everything is a sinking of the lusitania so i don't know if that's true i just know that's what it looks like even though we know that world war one was started by the assassination of archduke franz ferdinand the sinking of the lusitania is what brought the u.s into world war one I. I think this movie looks good would i rather see the end to the story of Eggsy? Yes, I would. I would rather see that, but this is what we're getting, and I'm happy we're getting something. This is the birth of the Kingsman, and is supposedly coming out now, and then we're, we're going to get the end of the, the final movie in the Kingsman trilogy, and then I assume we're getting another Kingsman trilogy that doesn't have Eggsy in it, or maybe he's just not the main character. I don't know. All I know for sure is that The King's Man comes out September 18th and it looks good. It looks like a, a standard action flick, but this time it's a action period piece and I'm excited. All right, let's move on to the next film this week. 
or in the trailer trove this week, and that is called Ava. This is set to come out September 25th, and it stars Jessica Chastain, Colin Farrell, John Malkovich, Gina Davis, and Common. And it's about Ava, played by Jessica Chastain, who is a deadly assassin who works for a black ops organization traveling the globe specializing in high-profile hits. When a job goes dangerously wrong, she is forced to fight for her own survival as her own people turn against her. So basically, we have a spy crime action movie, this time Jessica Chastain as the badass assassin. We have people like Colin Farrell going after her, and that that's all I need. I... I don't think this is going to be a particularly memorable movie. I think this is the kind of movie that I see when it comes out or Anne and I see, or maybe we see it when it comes out on DVD or Blu-ray. We watch it. We go, okay, that was fun. Cool. And then it goes on the shelf and every once in a while we pick it up going, oh yeah, this was fun. Do you want, want to watch this again? Sure. Because I like Jessica Chastain, but also it could feel like sometimes she phones it in. And I just think that's her delivery. She has this very kind of nonchalant delivery. Just think of Twilight era Kristen Stewart and just put that kind of meh nonchalantness into Jessica Chastain. And I think that's what we get sometimes from her, even though other times we can, we can get really good performances. But this time she just looks like a trained killer who doesn't deliver many emotional lines so why not she can just do this and be badass i'm excited for it it looks very okay so once again that comes out september 25th but now let's talk about a movie coming out december 30th and that movie is called respect this is a biopic about aretha franklin starring jennifer hudson and forrest whitaker and i can't believe it's only now that we're getting an aretha franklin biopic i mean don't get me wrong i love queen uh, Queen, Queen is one of my favorite bands. I love their songs. But Aretha Franklin? We got a Freddie Mercury biopic before we did Aretha f***ing Franklin. We got The Doors before Aretha Franklin. But I think it did come out at a good time. Because now more than ever, black stories need to be shared. They always needed to be shared, don't get me wrong. But I think now I think is a great time for this. And especially it coming out when we have Jennifer Hudson. Because I think Jennifer Hudson is the only one with the vocal range to be able to sing an Aretha Franklin film, a film, just to be able to sing an Aretha Franklin song. So my question is, how much of her story is she going to tell? Because she has some dark stories in her past. Are we going to tell all of them? Or are we going to focus on, okay, here's young Aretha. Here's her as a singer. Now here's her career, which you really want to hear about. Here are the songs you want to hear. And let's make a nod to the fact she did have to overcome racism. So which story are we going to get? That's my question. Either way, I am excited for this, if only just for the music, because I wasn't a big fan of Bohemian Rhapsody, as you remember me saying. The music was great. So at the very least, at the very least with this film, we'll get some great music, because Jennifer Hudson can f***ing sing. Once again, this comes out December 30th. All right, folks, next up, we have a film called Greenland coming out August 14th, and this stars Gerard Butler, Marina Baccarin, Scott Glenn, David Denman, and other people. But this is a film that looks like... So, I like this the service called Papa Pack. It's not really a subscription service, but it kind of sells itself as one. But every week, they have different really cheap Blu-rays and DVDs. I was just on their website looking at a bunch of $2 DVD and $3 Blu-rays, things like that. Really cheap stuff. Movies you've never heard of. This looks like one of those. 
It just happens to get a couple of well-known people to be in the film. But let's be let's be frank. Marina Baccarin, Scott Glenn, not the biggest names these days. Neither David Denman, Gerard Butler, not as big as he once was. And normally I would still be excited for this film because that is a good cast. Let's let's ignore the fact that they're not as big as they were or just never made it that big. Ignore that part. But watching the trailer makes it look like this straight to VOD movie and it just looks so cheesy. The kind of movie they make because maybe Gerard Butler or Marina Baccarin needed to <laughs> make some uh, repairs on their house. So, th- so they're like, oh, look, this movie will pay enough. It doesn't look bad, but it doesn't look good. It just looks meh. And it comes out August 14th. And ladies and gentlemen, let's finish up the trailer trove with a trailer for something that's not a movie, but I'm super excited for. And it's a new Netflix series. And it's a, well, reboot sounds like the wrong word, but basically it's Unsolved Mysteries f***ing coming back and it looks dope. I saw the trailer. It looks so good. I cannot wait. My only fear is that this is Netflix and Netflix really doesn't care about getting stuff out fast. If it was on network TV, they would have to have a new season ready every year and that'd be great. But sometimes Netflix is like, eh, we'll get to it. Maybe. You'll see. Do you still remember Stranger Things? We hope. So that's really my only fear, is how quickly will these come out? Because it's Netflix, thus they won't. But it's more Unsolved Mysteries, which I really want, and it comes out July 1st. It's so close. Oh, by the time you're listening to this, it has already come out. Hopefully, I'll have at least watched one episode by then, so I can tell you how great it is, or I can warn you to stay away, but 10 episodes are coming out July 1st. The only thing I don't know is who is the new host, because we all know Robert Stack was the original host, and then it came back for a bit with Dennis Farina as the host. Dennis Farina, you'd know from, like, Get Shorty, uh, Manhunter, Snatch, Midnight Run, but he passed back in 2013, so who's going to be the new host? Who knows? Either way, so far, I'm excited. Well, my future friends, that is it for the Trailer Trove. Let us take our next break as we hear word from our friends at the Somewhat Nerdy Radio Podcast. Please stay tuned. Are you looking for a nerd podcast that touches on every walk of nerd culture? Well, look no further. Somewhat Nerdy Radio is the podcast for you. We cover nerd culture, news, new movie reviews, bad movie reviews, video games, comics, with sprinkles of nerdy nostalgia throughout. Somewhat Nerdy Radio is a flagship podcast of the Somewhat Nerdy Podcast Network. Find us on every podcast app or stream it on somewhatnerdy.com. Good journey, nerds. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back from the break. It is time to start the films. Just like last week, I am kind of recording all these out of order as I watch them. Or, you know, as I have time. So let's start the movies off with our throwback film, which is called Grease. This is from 1978, came out June 16th, 1978, so we missed the anniversary. If you have never seen it, where have you been? But also, this is about good girl Sandy Olsen and greaser Danny Zuko fell in love over the summer when they unexpectedly discover they're now in the same high school. Will they be able to rekindle their romance? This was directed by Randall Kaiser, who you know for films like Flight of the Navigator, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, The Blue Lagoon... And it's based on a hit Broadway musical. And this stars John Travolta, Olivia Newton-John, Stockard Channing, Jeff Conway, and Sid Caesar. 
And uh, Frankie Avalon, we know Frankie Avalon was the teen angel. And you know what? Let me tell you what I'm drinking. I'm drinking a a drink recommended by Critter from uh, Watch Your Mouth and Somewhat Nerdy. A take on a melon ball, but instead of orange juice, it's Ecto Cooler, because yes, Critter and I still have Ecto Cooler. And yes, it's still good, even though it expired many years ago. And I haven't died yet, but maybe this is how we discover a new form of cancer. I don't know. Well, let's continue talking about Grease. Grease is a special film. Uh, I I loved it as a kid and loved it as a kid, even though it was before both of our our times. We loved it because it's a classic musical. But when I've been doing these throwback films, we know a big part of watching an older film now is how it holds up. And and um, you know what? If it wasn't for the fact that Grease is a beloved musical, a, a a musical that still pops into my head every once in a while. Some of the songs do, like Grease Lightning, You're the One That I Want, Summer Nights, songs like that just pop into my head every once in a while. If it wasn't for the fact that it's a beloved Americana film, I think this would be a 100% skippable movie for future generations because it does not hold up well. And I think it says a lot that The Sound of Music from 1965, a movie about a former nun who becomes a governess for these children set during the rise of Nazi Germany or, you know, the arrival of Nazi Germany in Austria. A film like that holds up so much better than a film that came out in 1978. And the fact that there's almost no one of color in the entire movie, save for a couple extras, isn't even the part that doesn't hold up well. That's just kind of a an unfortunate, an unfortunate thing to notice. Because all of the catchy songs aside, all of the dancing, everything aside, we have to remember that the overall message from Greece is if you change who you are on a fundamental level, you can get the guy. The guy doesn't have to do jack shit. Though it is true, during this watching of Greece, I did notice that Danny actually does try. He does try to change his ways. He joins a track team. He gets a letter in the track team. But it's always Sandy at the end who makes the bigger change, changing everything about her looks. And let's even talk about some of the lines from the songs. Like that classic line from Summer Nights, Tell me more, tell me more, was it love at first sight? Tell me more, tell me more. Did she put up a fight? Do you guys remember when on the show, I I believe I said it on the show, that I don't like the term problematic. I think it's overused. Well, here I am using it so much now in my daily life, and here I am about to use it again. If it wasn't for the pillar that we have already put grease on, if it wasn't for the fact that it's a American cinema legend, If it wasn't for that, then this film would be too problematic. If they remade it today, like if Grease had never come out and they were going to make it today, so much would have to change. Which is interesting because you look at Olivia Newton-John's Sandy Olsen, you look at her as the quintessential good girl, as this very wholesome character. And even Danny and the other T-Birds, even Rizzo and the other pink ladies, they're not they're not really bad. They're a gang, quote unquote, but it's not like a gang today. Like the big showdowns with the Scorpions was a race and not a drive-by. But even then, there's still too many smaller problematic elements in the movie. 
So the fact that Grease is such a big deal for so many of us, because we loved it when we were younger, we knew the songs, we sang along, that fact alone is why it still has such a huge following, which is why we're able to watch this and turn a blind eye to some of the worst parts of it. Though I was thinking that the movie Grease is probably where the CW got their casting ideas from. If you don't know what I mean, here we go. Grease takes place in a high school, in Rydell High. During the time of filming, John Travolta was 23, Olivia Newton-John was 28, Stalker Channing was 33, Jeff Conway was 26, and it goes on and on and on. The woman that played Frenchie was 25. We're supposed to believe that Sonny was a high school student, let alone John Travolta? Oh, here's something fun I learned. The guy who played Eugene, Eddie Deason, does the voice of Mandark in Dexter's Laboratory. So it was fun watching Grease again. I used to watch it a lot when I was younger. Anne used to watch it a lot when I was younger. But it was also cringeworthy at times. Noticing these things that I didn't notice back then. Like, what a huge piece of crap Danny is. Despite the fact that he does try a little bit, he's still kind of a piece of shit. And you know what? I can't remember the last time I spoke so badly about a movie I actually like. So, Grease did not age well. It aged very poorly. But, if you watched it when you were younger and you liked it when you were younger, I do think you'll still be able to watch it and enjoy it. Even if you do have to cringe a little bit. And even if you have to watch Beauty School Dropout, which is the worst song, or one of the worst songs in the movie. Like, Beauty School Dropout was so random. Let's give an entire song to a subplot. And then why were two of the pink ladies, Anne brought this up, why were two of the pink ladies part of the dance that, that dance number and others weren't? Stalker Channing is kind of hard to miss. Though I will always love Grease, at least for one reason, and that gave us Stalker Channing, because Stalker Channing was then in the West Wing, and I can't think of anyone else playing the First Lady besides Stalker Channing. She was amazing. It would be really interesting to know if any of you out there have never seen Grease, if for some reason you haven't, if you watch it now, I would like to know what you think. Though also with that, I think I would have to know what your level of social justice involvement is too, because maybe you're just not the type of person who would watch this film and see anything problematic with it. So is there anything wrong with still liking Grease? No, obviously not. Is there anything wrong with showing this to your kids? Obviously not. Even taking all of the bad elements, all the problematic elements into account, there are still worse movies. If you want to watch a more woke movie that's also a musical and also stars John Travolta, maybe you can watch Hairspray. I mean, Hairspray isn't perfect, but <laughs> it, 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 uh, it, it does better in the how well it holds up department. Or, you know, watch the original Hairspray, not necessarily the John Travolta one, but whatever floats your boat. Grease is a historic film. It is a fun film. It is a film that so many people like. The songs are important to so many people. And it's that that helps it stay relevant today. Even though it's almost three hours long, I think I would find myself rewatching The Sound of Music again before I would Grease again. But either way, it's an old film that I still like. Grease gets a 7 out of 11. All right, ladies and gentlemen, next up... We have The Hustle, which was on Hulu and Amazon Prime. This is a film from 2019, and it's about two con women, one low rent, the other high class. And I just noticed that this 
premise on IMDb is wrong. So the rest of the premise is the team up to take down the men who have wronged them. That was not part of this movie. In fact, they're the ones that do all the wronging. This stars Rebel Wilson from Pitch Perfect, Anne Hathaway from The Dark Knight Rises, and Alex Sharp from How to Talk to Girls at Parties. So like I said, the premise for this film was wrong, but part of it was right. So this is about two con women. We have Rebel Wilson playing Penny Rust, who's this lowbrow con woman. We have Anne Hathaway, who plays Josephine Chesterfield, who is a higherbrow con woman, makes a lot more money. And then we have Alex Sharp, who plays their mark named Thomas, who is a supposedly a rich and famous app creator who has a new idea that he's working on. And so in this film, Rebel Wilson meets Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway wants nothing to do with her, wants to get her out of this town. But Rebel Wilson says, no, teach me everything you know. We can work together. So they start to work together and they have this shtick going on where they're where they're stealing from people. It works really well. And then something divides them and they decide that they're they are going to have a little contest. Well, it looks like that Alex Sharp's character, Thomas, is going to be the deciding factor. Whoever can get the get a certain amount of money from him first is the winner. So part of this movie is them working together. The other part is them at each other's throats. And it's a funny film. It really is. Though it was notoriously panned by critics, it has a 35 Metascore and those distended anuses at Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 14%. Though the actual human beings with hearts and souls gave it 43%, which is still not great. But it's a much better score than those critics who are akin to Satan's ass hair. So, my future friends, I haven't said this in a while, so say it with me. F*** Rotten Tomatoes. Those festering canker sores wouldn't know a good movie if it bit them in the taint. And yeah, I know I should have said on the taint, but I meant it. Bite them in the taint. Because you know what? This is a fun movie. It's dumb. It's it's not a great film. It's not one of the best films from either one of them, but it was funny. I liked it. There are quite a few really funny moments in it. I smiled. It never really lost my interest. At an hour, 33 minutes, I think it was a good length. It maybe could have been shorter. I don't think it should have been any longer, so that part was good. But like I say about other movies, like I've said so many times before, if you go into a movie like The Hustle, if you go into a movie like 21 Jump Street, if you go into a movie like Bridesmaids, if you go into a movie like Dumb and Dumber, and you try to rate it the same way you do a movie like The Goldfinch or the now notorious on this show, Portrait of a Lady on Fire or something like that, then you're going to have a bad time and you're kind of an idiot. But I truly think if you just go into this film wanting a, a comedy, just a basic comedy with some good gags in it, with some good acting, with an interesting plot, then you found it. You have found your film. So how seriously should you take this film? Not seriously at all. It starred or had a scene featuring some of the Real Housewives of Essex. If you've ever seen any Real Housewives show, you know that anything those ladies are in should never be taken seriously, that it's all goofy trash. And while the hustle isn't trash, I would say that the fact that they're in it is a good sign to just watch this as a dumb comedy. Oh my god, just sit back and laugh. But you know what? If you don't like this film and you went into it with a proper mentality, if you went into it just watching, wanting to watch a 
silly comedy and you still don't like it, that's fine. That's just called the difference in taste there, my friends. What I just want is more people to watch movies for the fun of it and not to be like those dehydrated turd nuggets on Metacritic and Rotten Tomatoes where you try to make your job to shit on films. If you've watched other Rebel Wilson movies, you know what to expect. The fact that Anne Hathaway is in this doesn't do much to change it from a Rebel Wilson film. Anne Hathaway is good. Rebel Wilson, though, is the star. Anne Hathaway plays off her really well as the straight man, quote-unquote, and they make a good team, but do not forget that through and through, this is a Rebel Wilson movie, and if you do not like her, then don't even give this a shot. The Hustle has a interesting story, good characters, and some funny jokes, and it's worth a 7.5 out of 11. Nerds in a Squared Circle on SomewhatNerdy.com Nerds of the Squared Circle on SomewhatNerdy.com Nerds of the Squared Circle on SomewhatNerdy.com Hi, I'm Sam Jericho of SomewhatNerdy.com's Nerds of the Squared Circle. Join me, Snarf Chris, and the dude with the headband. We talk about wrestling and more wrestling. Do you like wrestling? Yeah! yeah. Then you should listen to our podcast. Do you not like wrestling? You should still listen to our podcast. SomewhatNerdy.com's Nerds of the Squared Circle. Subscribe to us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app today. Nerds in the Square Circle on SomewhatNerdy.com Welcome back from the break, everyone. If you hear someone whispering the word dick in the background, it's not me. It is uh, Anne. She's watching a show called Normal People. Well, anyway, she's watching a show called Normal People, and apparently someone is being a huge dick. But that is not movies. This is movies. So let's talk about the last two movies we have to talk about this week that is called the edge of 17 on netflix and artemis fowl on disney plus so let's talk about the edge of 17 this is a film from way back in 2016 and it's about a high school student whose life gets more unbearable when her best friend starts dating her older brother that she hates oh so much this stars Haley steinfeld Haley lou richardson kara sedgwick woody harrelson and also this guy named Blake Jenner that Anne just had me pause and watch this video that actress Melissa Benoit made. Uh, you may know her from Glee or she's on Supergirl. And it is f***ing hard to watch. So basically she j- talks about how she's been a victim of abuse in a relationship and it got really bad. And at one point he broke her face and she needed reconstructive surgery and she won't ever see well out of her eye again. Apparently that was Blake Jenner. This guy who plays the older brother in this film. So if you haven't seen Edge of Seventeen and you want to, it's it's definitely a good film. It's worth it. The uh, the main two ladies, Haley Steinfeld and Haley Lee Richardson, are fantastic. Kara Sedgwick and Woody Woody Harrelson are great. But anytime you see Blake Jenner on the screen, it's just a good idea to remember that he is a human piece of garbage, and the world will be better when he eventually dies. But let's talk about something more cheery. This movie. So this is a teenage drama but made for all audiences it's not like a teenage drama where parents would have to sit through it going oh well i'm only watching this for my kids and then like there'll have to be some adult jokes put in there just so the parents won't blow their brains out this is a coming of age drama that i think is is really well done it's not just for people of that age it's not for just for people who had been that age recently it's for everyone so we have Haley Steinfeld's Nadine, who is just kind of a dork. I mean, she does such a good job playing this huge nerd. 
And if you've seen her in anything else, you know that she is an attractive young lady. She's been in True Grit, though she was a kid back then, uh, Bumblebee, Ender's Game, the Pitch Perfect series. Well, just Pitch Perfect 2 and 3. I'm sorry, just not 1. And if you look at her IMDb page, it's like this model picture. She's like, she just has like this attitude about her. Like, yeah, I'm f***ing badass. Come get some. But when you watch Edge of 17, she's a completely different person. Her mannerisms, the way she carries herself, the energy she puts up, puts out, everything is different. So you fully believe, no matter what you've seen her in, that she is this super awkward nerd. And her troubles, it's a great mix of stuff that she could have done nothing to prevent, like the death of her father, or her best friend dating her or falling in love with her older brother, who she hates very much, versus just her attitude towards that, and her attitude in a lot of things, and thus how she projects herself to others. So it's a good mix of not having all of her problems be from outside sources, but also not having them all be in her head or things she's doing. So she's this very relatable character, I guess, to even maybe even some cool people. Even if you were a cool kid in high school, you might even watch her and sympathize somehow. Because like, I've thought that I've I've been this awkward at times. Or if you're a parent, maybe you can see how Kira Sedgwick deals with things and the trouble she has with her daughter and going, oh, wow. I have been that too. I have done that too. And it didn't work out. Oh, you know what? Fuck. So since we're saying Blake Jenner in his ear, let's talk about Hayden uh, Zeto, Zeto, I think is his name. Uh, fantastic actor in this. Um, if you've watched The Good Place, he's been in that. Oh, sorry. Just one episode. He was in Lodge 49 and Truth or Dare. But he was cool. And you know what? No terrible stories about him so far. So good for him. I'm sorry. I've had quite a bit to drink at this point. So I think I went on a little tangent there, but this was a well-done movie, and it's a fantastic performance by Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson's Mr. Bruner, he's this uh, teacher that she gravitates towards, and he just is just so snarky to her, but also very supportive, but also super bitchy, and it's great. Their banter is so good. Especially one of the first scenes in the movie is some of the best banter they have. And his character was just amazing. I'm really glad they didn't go creepy with it because they very easily could have of her, this this young 17-year-old uh, student spending so much time with this teacher alone. They could have gone really creepy, but they kept it a wholesome. They kept it more mentor-mentee sort of way. And it was really well done. Overall, this movie was was fantastic. I think it's a very good coming-of-age film that I think will be able to stand the test of time. And I think that's important for movies like this because as more of them get made, there are more important coming-of-age movies out there that people can watch, maybe find some advice or just an outlet in, and it helps when they're not super dated. Like, Anne and I watched a movie that we're going to talk about on the next episode called My Spy. We're going to talk about that next week. But... Just a quick thing about it now, there's just one line, it's not a big deal, but one line in that film where she's re this little girl is recording what Dave Batista and Kristen Schaal are doing, and she says said something about this going up on Insta. And you know, Instagram is still pretty big, but with kids these days, they're already starting to leave Instagram. They left Facebook a while ago. They're already starting to leave Twitter and Instagram and really going towards uh, TikTok, Snap Snapchat's been around for a while, but 
kids are gravitating. They move to whatever's new. They leave behind what's old. They may still use it, but the focus changes. And so that's why I think a lot of these, a, a lot of these references that some movies will have can really date films. I, I know one was never made, but imagine this great coming of age story, a movie that was told back in let's say in the early 2000s, and it's this really good movie, except they keep on talking about how great Friendster is and things like that date movies. So I think that movies that avoid things like that and avoid too much use of technology too, stand the test of time better. And I know it's kind of a weird thing to say because if the, if it's a good movie, it's a good movie, right? But Anne and I just watched 13 Going on 30. I had never seen it. She wanted me to watch it. And we couldn't help but notice each time they pulled out a cell phone. It was a tiny little flip phone. Cell, like uh, Smartphones weren't a thing yet. But luckily, Edge of 17 did have some social media use, but not enough, I think, that would date it in the years to come. So we have a good movie, good acting in it. We have a good story, a good positive story about a young woman experiencing growing pains basically of you know social growing pains and how she gets over it i'm sorry saying gets over it kind of belittles it doesn't it but how she overcomes there we go that is a better term how she overcomes it it's a very good story this is a very a very positive movie without being preachy and it's funny and a good film for all ages the only downside to this film is that a the zombie taint Blake Jenner is in the film. That's really it. That's the worst part. And you know what? He already got paid for the movie. So you're not going to keep putting money in some abuser's pocket by buying this film or renting it. So I suggest if you haven't seen it, watch this film. Enjoy the great performances by Haley Steinfeld, Haley Lou Richardson. Oh, two Haley's. I don't can't believe it took me that long to notice that. Uh, Kira Cedric, Woody Harrelson, Hayden Zetso, or Z Zeto. I'm such a bad Asian. And enjoy a good film. The Edge of 17 gets a 9 out of 11. All right, my future friends, final official movie of the week before we talk about the surprise film, Black Klansman, yay. And I'm going to end with Black Klansman because I want to end on a positive note. Because the next movie we're going to talk about is a film called Artemis Fowl. Artemis Fowl was a movie that came out earlier this year, and it's based on a much-loved series of books. So, of course, they said that and did their own thing this is about artemis fowl a young criminal prodigy with very sarcastic air quotes and now he hunts down a secret society of fairies to find his missing father and thank you imdb that is not what this film is about at all correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong right but imdb is kind of like wikipedia but for movies but only certain people can edit things right don't you have to be somehow in the industry to edit something well whoever edited that obviously didn't see the movie and obviously never read the book you know who else obviously didn't read the book the f***ing people who worked on this movie so we have the two writers connor mcpherson and hamish mccall who adapted the screenplay from the novel by owen colfer then we have Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, that Kenneth Branagh, the guy who's done good work before that we've seen, who did Murder on the Orient Express, Cinderella, the first Thor movie, 1993's Much Ado About Nothing. A good director and good actor somehow worked on this horrid piece of shit. So there's already someone who did a better job of explaining what the f*** went wrong than I ever could. And if you've ever seen it, if it's 
from the YouTube channel Screen Rant, and they have this series of of uh of videos called the Pitch Meeting, where it's one guy, just one guy doing both parts of the guy being pitched to and the guy doing the pitching, and he'll talk about a movie but try to pitch it while talking about all of the bad parts or everything they up that make no sense the joke for the artemis fowl one of course is the movie is so bad and far from the source material that how did anyone green like this i highly recommend you watch that it's a fantastic video that just really gets us the bare bones on what they did wrong but i liked the book the first book was good i never read the rest because reasons but i remembered enough of it and Anne had just read it a month or two ago so when we were watching it, we were so confused. So in the original Artemis Fowl book, Artemis Fowl is a young criminal genius. Yes, he is a criminal, which they never make that clear in the first book or in the first movie. Hopefully there won't be any more, but they never make that clear until they have Artemis Fowl say that, yes, I am a criminal mastermind, even though he was nothing but basically a good guy the whole time. But anyway, in the book, he is a criminal mastermind. He kidnaps an elf, he kidnaps an elf or a fairy, and has this huge plan to get their fairy gold. And what you know about about Artemis Fowl in the book is that his father has disappeared a while back, and his mother is bad crazy. So in the movie, his father is alive and well, and doesn't get kidnapped until just a little bit into the movie, and his mother is dead. In the book, we have Holly Short who is the elf that gets kidnapped or the fairy that gets kidnapped by Artemis. In the book, we have her being the first female LEPD agent or cop or whatever. That's basically a fairy, a fairy world version of a cop. We have her being the first ever female. But when they brought it to the silver screen or the small screen, since it's Disney Plus, they just said, well, f it, we'll have a bunch of women in the LEPD to make her not special at all. In fact, the head of the LEPD will be none other than Dame Judy Dench herself proving that women have been allowed in the LEPD for centuries because she is really, really old and fairy folk live for a really, really long time. So any possible nod to institutionalized sexism that this kid's book may have had is completely wiped away. And then also Josh Gad's character, who's a dwarf named Mulch Diggums, is now a gigantic dwarf. So he's human sized, but he's still a dwarf, but he's human sized. And in the book, he has a small role, but in the movie, he's there the whole f***ing time. And in fact, Mulch Diggums and Holly Short, the two people who should be fighting against Artemis Fowl, join him just because he's such a nice young chap. He's so nice and lovable. Of course, we'll join him and fight a f***ing troll. And one of the most badass characters in the whole book is Butler, the butler, who is tra a trained uh, martial artist and assassin or all this, all this crazy shit. He's super badass and he's a, he's a bodyguard and his name's Butler. But in the movie, they make a point of telling you to not call him Butler. For some reason, that's what they make a point about to change his name. And he's basically useless the entire time. They destroyed his character. I believe in the book, Butler is part Asian, part Irish. I don't quite remember. In the movie, they made him black. That's fine. I did not care. I liked, what's his name? Nonso 
and Ozzy, who I forgot to mention in the original in the opening to this, but Nonzo Anozi, I liked him for this. I just wish they didn't f his character. And Butler, Butler's sister, who's a who's an important character in the book, they basically reduced her to a waitress. She's supposed to be almost as equally badass as Butler, and she's supposed to be like late teens, maybe. But in the in the movie, she's just as old as as Artemis. And they try to have this scene showing that she's an accomplished fighter herself, but she's so useless throughout the whole film. Okay, folks, I'm going to be honest. When I first watched the film, I wasn't that angry. Not at all. No, 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 no. I, I wasn't that angry. In fact, it wasn't as bad at first. Okay, at first it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. But then the more I thought about it, the angrier I got. So they pull in this bad guy from later in the series, just plop this bad guy in right here in this first movie, totally disarming the fact that Artemis is supposed to be the bad guy. Because if you read the book, it's clear he is the bad guy. And that's what makes him such a good character. But they take that completely away and they add in this bullshit story about trying to get the dad back from this fairy creature who kidnapped him because because she wants some sort of crazy artifact. Okay, I'm going to get into some hardcore spoilers here. You guys know by now to expect spoilers in, in these talks, but okay, here we go. I forgot what this artifact is called, but fuck it. I don't care. Let's call it, let's call it Dingleberry. So we learn in the movie that Holly Short's dad died protecting the Dingleberry. He died giving the Dingleberry to Artemis Fowl's dad, Artemis Fowl Sr., because Holly Short's dad believed that it was not safe in the LEPD. He believed that there were people who would try to use it for their own evil machinations. So he risked his life and paid the price to get it to Artemis Fowl Sr. to protect it. Holly Short the whole time thinks that her dad is a traitor because that this he died and this thing went missing. Finds out, no, her dad wasn't a traitor. Her dad was working with Artemis Fowl Sr. to protect this crazy powerful artifact that could apparently destroy the world, I guess. It's so powerful. And so what does she do at the end of the movie but give it right the f*** back to the LEPD that her father died taking it from them because it wasn't safe? So Holly, on her own, of her own accord, made her father's death meaningless. And Artemis, by allowing this to happen, made his father's sacrifice, all the torture his father went through, everything his father went through at the hands of this bad fairy, made all of that pointless too. So not only did these asshats behind this film f*** with the original story, not only did they make some of the most interesting characters in the book useless bitches, but the new story they came up with was so shit. That the two main characters f***ed up everything their parents had done and risked doing, and there wasn't even a second thought given to it. And they took away the good characters of Butler and his sister, who, I mean, weren't huge, they weren't, like, on every goddamn page, but they sure as hell were bigger than they were in the movie. And instead, they gave Josh Gad's character more screen time, even though it didn't make any f***ing sense. And the story was told by Josh Gad's character giving narration as he was arrested by the human police, or FBI, or CIA, or, or 
SAS, whatever they have in the UK. So it's all done through an interrogation. That's how the movie is told. One of the laziest ways of narration. And then Mulch is in this supposedly super secure prison with then Artemis and Butler and Holly Short and the dad just show up in a helicopter, lower a ladder, and he just escapes. I don't even know. God, I don't know. I wish... I wish I still liked the movie as much as when it initially ended. Because when the movie ended and the credits were rolling, initially I was like, okay, that wasn't bad. It wasn't really good. I'm not sure if I'll ever watch it again, but it wasn't bad. But the more I thought about it, the, the God, it gets me so angry just thinking about how they f***ed this up. It's so bad. They took away so much from the movie. It could have been so important. We could have had this wonderful storyline of Holly Short being the first female LAPD officer breaking a glass ceiling. We could have had Butler, now a black person, now a badass black person, have a strong character, which would have been great to see now, but no, f*** that. And I feel bad for Ferdia Shaw, the kid who plays Artemis. This is his first acting gig and he was good i feel bad for nonzo enozi because he's good i've seen him in other things but this was shit. but i still feel especially bad for fredia shaw because his first ever movie a disney film a disney adaptation of a super popular kids book series shit the bed so much that it would clog a lubed up water slide that's how much shit there is on this bed. If this movie had been 100% its own thing, like if Owen Colfer had never written Artemis Fowl and those two motherfuckers, Connor McPherson and Hemish McCall, came up with this sh on their own, it still wouldn't be that good. It would still be a flawed story. But on top of that, they take a loved book series and f it up. I think this may be one of the worst book to movie adaptations because even when a bad book to movie adaptation happens if the movie's good even if it's nothing like the book it can still be forgivable it could still be entertaining as a film this isn't even entertaining as a film because like i said even if you go into this not knowing anything about artemis fowl this is still shit. artemis fowl gets a three out of eleven all right, my future friends, that is it for the main four films. Let us talk about our final film, the surprise of the week, Black Klansman. This is a film from 2018 based loosely on a true story about Ron Stallworth, an African-American police officer from Colorado Springs, Colorado, who successfully manages to infiltrate the local Ku Klux Klan branch with the help of a Jewish surrogate who eventually becomes its leader. Okay, th that's not exactly right. Um, God, I really want to know who writes this sh**. Well, enough of that. Let's talk about who's in this. This stars John David Washington from Ballers, Laura Harrier from Hollywood. That's the new Hollywood that's on Netflix, I believe, from Ryan Murphy, creator of Glee. Adam Driver from Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. Michael Buscemi, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. Robert John Burke from Robocop. Corey Hawkins from Straight Outta Compton. Topher Grace from That 70s Show, Ken Garito from Summer of Sam, Jasper Pancocknin? Uh, well, he's Finnish. If, that, if, if you can pronounce Finnish better than me, 
then uh, that's why I mispronounced it terribly. And finally, Paul Walter Hauser from Richard Jewell. I know that film kind of just came out, but the reason I mentioned it is because he plays Richard Jewell and they don't really do a lot of makeup for him. So that will give you an idea of what he looks like. So a couple interesting things about this cast that I did not know. The first thing I did not know is I did not know Steve Buscemi had a brother because Michael Buscemi is in this film and is Steve Buscemi's brother because there were quite a few times where I would be watching the film going, is that Steve Buscemi? That kind of looks like him. And I'd see him in another scene going, oh no, that's obviously not him. And then from some different angle, I'd go, is it though? Did they just put makeup on him? Well, that's why. It's Michael Buscemi, brother of Steve Buscemi. And John David Washington, I never knew, was the son of Denzel Washington. Maybe it could be that Denzel Washington doesn't look his age. And also, as a rule, I don't try and wonder if people from races other than mine are related. Because I I have a hell of a time even telling Asians apart, because my Asian radar is not very good. So I could see myself saying something and then having it not be true and people going, oh, well, just because his last name's Washington and he's black, you think he's related to this guy? But here I am finding out, yes, yes, he is. And before I started recording, I was looking up trivia. You know how IMDb will have uh, trivia for a, a movie on there or on that movie's page? Well, there are some interesting things uh, hidden in this. And I think some of them are really interesting. Like one of them says, contrary to popular belief, the real Ron Stallworth never used a white voice on the phone. He ironically had to use his real voice or they would have caught him if he slipped out of character. When his white colleagues told him that it could not work, he asked what made his voice any different from theirs and they never answered. And that's a very important point to make because what I believe his co-workers were were thinking is that oh you're black you're different than me the when i think of black people i think of the hood or people living in really poor neighborhoods people who are in gangs and they have a for lack of a better word a ghetto accent but an important thing to remember and what i think this black lives matter thing is helping bring forward is that that is not inherently black even though making fun of a black person's ghettoness is racist not all black people can relate or even talk like that because it's about where you grew up. Look at the movie Gran Torino. I, I know, not the best movie to bring up when when we talk about racism, just because just of the controversy around the segregated set. But the Hmong gangs in America that grow up in these impoverished neighborhoods, they tend to talk like that too. And it's not like you go to Southeast Asia and you see all these people talking like that. It's not. It's not inherently in you. So that's a very important point for the for the movie to make that Ron Stallworth didn't change his voice because there is no black sound. At work, I have quite a few different colleagues of different races other than me, and we all talk the same because guess what? We all come from this area. And congratulations, ladies and gentlemen, my future friends, that is the quickest tangent I have ever gone on. Uh, on this show. True, it's not a, it's not a real tangent because it was kind of topical to the film, but I really even haven't spoken about the film yet. So let's talk about the film. This was a f***ing amazing film. I thought it was really, really good. The fact that it's a very topical film and important to our current conversation is just a bonus. That's just a huge bonus to this film that is quite amazing. 
This comes from Spike Lee, who has done such amazing movies as Do the Right Thing, Malcolm X, She's Gotta Have It. And despite Spike Lee's newest film, most of his films have been really well received. His newest film, Da Five Bloods, which I still want to see, has been really hit and miss with people. A high meta score, a high Rotten Tomatoes score. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 91% tomato meter and an audience score of 54%, once again showing the discrepancy between Rotten Tomatoes and human beings. But despite this newest film, Spike Lee's movies are generally well-received, and I think this is my favorite Spike Lee film. And to be honest, I have to do a... I have to do some thinking about what my top 10 films are now, just because this film may have broken into the top 10. I thought it was really, really well done. And there are quite a few really powerful scenes. Like Ron Stallworth's first assignment after he joins the police force, and he's, he's just stuck in records for a while, but after he joins the police force and they decide to do something with him, he is sent to a a meeting of a, of the Black Student Union because they're having a very famous speaker come by and all the white people are very nervous going, oh, what does this mean for us? Well, they, will these people start to uprise? So he infiltrates this meeting. But as he's watching this guy speak, it's like it's hitting home to him. It's like he's really understanding it. And just that scene was so well shot of these close-ups of just these uh, these black people in the audience listening to it, but everything else is tuned out except for their faces and what the guy is saying. There's nothing in the background. It's a very, a very focused, very purposeful scene that gave me chills. And this film very easily could have felt disjointed because it's, it's filled with these very powerful moments, but it's also a comedy, a biographical comedy drama that has some very, very funny scenes in it, but also some very, very disturbing shit. And it could have felt, like I already said, very disjointed because it could have felt like two movies that were spliced together improperly, but Spike Lee did it so well that it flowed. So the actually funny, light-hearted moments mixed with the funny, kind of dark humor moments and all the drama in the movie all merged together very well. Especially the parts with Ron on the phone to David Duke and his three cop friends behind him and them trying to hold in their laughter as this black man is totally conning the head of the Ku Klux Klan. And apparently, historically, David Duke did not know Ron Stallworth was black until 2006 when a newspaper reporter contacted him about it. Supposedly, the reason was because it had to keep, they had to keep it secret because of the investigation and ongoing stuff. I don't know the full story, but the real Ron Stallworth wished that it would have become public much sooner because it may have stopped or at least put a big halt to David Duke's political career. And I think something that Spike Lee did that worked really well in this film was showing, okay, this is why things are bad for black people, but in case you are some sort of Neanderthal, it also applies to you, and this is how. And they did that by showing just a true hatred in the Ku Klux Klan, because of course the Klan is famous for hating black people, that's kind of their thing, but they also hate a lot of other, basically just non-white Aryan people, Jews, Mexicans, Asians. And then let's talk about Topher Grace's performance as David Duke. I think he did a fantastic job because in an interview, Topher Grace mentions that the terrifying thing about David Duke is how 
charismatic he is, despite the hateful nature of what he's saying. And I think and I think Topher Grace really showed that in the movie being super charismatic. And then he would say something super racist and you go, oh, yeah, I I almost forgot that he's a horrible person. And this movie didn't glaze over the the treatment of the black community by police. Because I was wondering if it was going to do that because the main character is a police officer, but it didn't. We had this character played by Frederick Weller, who you would know if you ever saw the show In Plain Sight. He was Marshall Marshall, you know, the the federal marshal named Marshall. And in this film, he was the physical representation of the racist, awful police officer. And I think it says a lot that he was more outspoken and more racist, but the good cops in this film were more reserved. I think it was done like that to answer the question or at least respond to when people say, yeah, but there are good cops out there too. Because then the the question that you would ask then is, yeah, but where are they? Because we see the racist cops. We see the violent cops. We see them in all of these videos that have been released. But the peaceful, supportive cops aren't as outspoken when, especially now, they should be more outspoken. So even though this film was released two years ago, I think right now it is more relevant than ever. I think it is a fantastic film. The whole thing is well done. John David Washington is fantastic. And you know what? Before I wrap this up, let's talk about Adam Driver and how he is f***ing amazing. But let me wrap this up with talking about what's shown at the very end. At the very end of the show, after the main story ends and we see footage of a protest and... You may have remembered this from a few years back, but the car, this car careening through all these protesters, killing one of them. And it was a white woman, a white protester who was protesting for Black Lives Matter. And that's how the movie ends with showing her or a picture of her and her date of birth, date of death, saying rest in power. And that was a very, very purposeful choice by Spike Lee, because how many black people every year are killed by cops. How many black people every year are victims of racist, racist violence? But he ended the movie showing a white woman killed at one of these, at one of these protests or demonstrations, because I think that shows it's very easy to sit back and go, okay, well I'm white or I'm Asian. I'm, I'm, I'm not black basically. So this doesn't have a lot to do with me, but he's showing, yes, it does. Racism is everyone's problem. Violence is everyone's problem. We need to come together. Because Spike Lee could have ended the film in a similar way, but showing a person of color who has died due to racist violence. It would have been just as powerful, but instead he chose to make a different but similar statement. This was a great movie from start to finish. I enjoyed it so much. Never before has a movie made me laugh so hard, but also gave given me chills. Never before has a movie made me smile so hard, but also made me cringe. This is a perfect example of a well-done movie and how Hollywood can make a powerful statement and also make it an entertaining movie. It had a constant message, but never lost the plot in an effort to get its message across. Black Klansman is worth owning, and it gets an 11 out of 11. All right, my future friends, that is it for this episode. Let's go into our final break as we hear word from our friends at the Watch Your Mouth podcast, and then we will talk about the movies for next week and the question of the week, so please stay tuned. There are several ways to raise money for a good cause. Some do it by running marathons. Some host high-dollar dinners. 
And some just do it by clever internetting. We here at the Watch Your Mouth Podcast employ a different approach. Wall-to-wall filthy f***ing language. Go to a grocery store, I'm like, I know exactly what I need. I get in there, I'm like, Yeah, the f*** did I even come here for? With our charity swear jar, every f***ed up utterance from our unfettered gobs is a dime in the right direction. The motherfucker's a mouth breather. Gaming, movies, life musings, it's all here. Served on a bed of f***s and garnished with a crown of Shut the f*** up! How the f*** did we get here? F*** all that a jelly bean! So if you want to hear us do good things with bad words, check out the Watch Your Mouth podcast on iTunes. SoundCloud, Facebook, or online at WIMPodcast.com. And remember, swearing is caring, so watch your mouth. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. We are back with, let's start with the question of the week. And that question was, which black actor, actress, writer, or director would you like to see more of? And remember, if you missed answering for this episode, you can answer any question of the week at any time. And I will talk about it on the next episode, just remember that if you go a little farther back for a question of the week, just remind me what the question is when you give me your answer, because you could just say 21 Jump Street, and I'd be like, cool, that's an answer to a question. Anyway, let's start with Anne's answer. She says, Asia Naomi King. She says, I think she's an underutilized actress with a great range. Not many people can be on par with the brilliance of Viola Davis when she's sharing a screen with her. But she, or Asia, definitely did. By that, of course, Anne is referring to the show How to Get Away with Murder, starring Viola Davis. And anyone who can go toe-to-toe with Viola Davis is a force to be reckoned with. And once again, since I'm the host, I'm going to cheat. And my first answer is Aisha Tyler. Aisha Tyler's fantastic. Uh, she's been in a lot of TV shows, a few movies. She's, she's done quite a bit, but I think she needs to be bigger. She's been on Criminal Minds for quite a, uh, quite a long time, since 2015. She, of course, has been on Archer for 10 years, but I, I want to see her in a starring role in a movie because I think she is fantastic. She has great comedic timing, you know, being a comedian and all. So I'd love to see her just explode. And someone else I'd like to see a lot more of is Dulé Hill. Dulé Hill from Psych and West Wing, who was also in Ballers for a bit. He's someone else who's done a lot, but I think he just needs that big, big role. And again, don't get me wrong, you can have a wonderful acting career and never have a starring role. A lot of people have done it. I bet you off the top of your head right now, you can think of a million character actors who you love but have never had their name on the front of the poster. But I think both of them could really do some amazing things in a starring role. Well, we need a question of the week for next time. And you know what? It was just Pride Month. Uh, today's July 1st, so Pride Month is officially over, but why not keep it going? And let me ask you this for next week or next episode's question of the week. What is your favorite movie with an LGBTQ protagonist? So once again, what is your favorite movie with an LGBTQ protagonist? Well, before we end the show, let us talk about the movies we are going to watch on the next episode. And those are going to be on Netflix, the brand new Eurovision. That is a movie starring Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams came out on June 26th, so it hasn't even been that long. Our throwback film will be Casablanca from 1942, starring, of course, Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman. That, unfortunately, is not on any of the main streaming services. You can definitely rent it in places, but as far as something you can watch with your subscriptions you already have, it's not one of those, but 
I trust you've either seen it already or maybe even own it. On Disney Plus, we have Hamilton that came out today. No, it's coming out July 3rd. I'm sorry. Hamilton coming out July 3rd, just in time for July 4th. This, of course, Disney Plus, and it's not a movie per se, but it's a recording of the Broadway musical written and starring Lin-Manuel Miranda. And finally, on Amazon Prime, we have My Spy from this year as well, starring Dave Bautista and uh, Chloe Coleman and Kristen Schaal. So normally, my, my future friends, I do the show every two weeks. And you still will hear from me in two weeks, but I'm going to record the episode earlier. So next episode will not have any news or trailers unless unless something comes in comes out between this week and next week. Because in two weeks, it's my birthday week. I was born on July 14th. And as a rule, I don't do a show on big holidays or the birthdays of Anne or myself. So Anne had the idea of me recording next week and then just releasing the week after to keep it every other week. So if I miss a story or a trailer that came out between the week of the 10th and the week of the 17th, that is why. So just a heads up on that. But until then, I will see you in two weeks on episode 176 of Future Folks with William. But for now, let us wrap this up with the closing housekeeping. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and any podcast app, as well as the Somewhat Nerdy website. That is somewhatnerdy.com. I would really appreciate it if you take a few minutes out of your day to give the podcast a rating. I would love five stars, please. And also, share the podcast. Share with your friends. That is how we grow here on the show. And then how do you reach me? That is a great question. You can leave a comment for me on the Somewhat Nerdy website or Facebook page. You can leave a comment on SoundCloud. You can hit me up on Twitter or Instagram at BilliamSWN. You can email me at BilliamReviews at gmail.com. And please consider supporting the show on Patreon. You can find a link in the show notes and also on the Somewhat Nerdy site. Be sure to check out the other shows in the network, Somewhat Nerdy Radio and Nerds of the Squared Circle. Don't forget to support the friends of the show. You've heard their ads tonight. Please check out my personal blog, BilliamTheNerd.com. And then finally, my dear friends, my dear, dear listeners, my future friends, please remember that no matter where life takes you, no matter what your week has in store, just take some time to catch a flick. I'm Billion from Somewhat Nerdy signing off, and I'll see you in the future.